glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Begin reading back in verse 11. We've already gone through these verses and our focus will be on verses 17 through the end of the chapter, uh, the end of the book, uh, over the, tonight for sure and probably next week, I would imagine. But uh, let's go ahead and begin reading in verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, uh, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage." But, beloved, this begins our emphasis here tonight. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, we looked at uh, verses 17 through 19, and I'll just explain again where we're at all of almost the entirety of the book of Jude to uh, verse 17 is a description of what we would call today apostates, those who've known the truth, been exposed to the gospel, been convinced it's true, and rejected it anyway. And these are evil men. They creep in, as we see in verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so starting with verse 4, there's a description of these kind of men. What he said in verse 3 is he's writing this, that the people he's writing to would earnestly contend for the faith. So part of our ability to contend for the faith is being able to identify those who are contending against the faith and the methods they use to oppose the faith of God's word. And so all of the description he's given, their clouds without rain, their trees plucked up by the roots, and all those descriptions given. But then when we get into verse 17, he begins to give them some information on how to contend. Told them in verse 3, you're to earnestly contend for the faith, and he helps them to understand why, because there are those that are opposing the faith, 
But then in verse 17, the counsel begins, the instruction as to what the Christian can and should do to circumvent the influence of the apostate in the church and in their surroundings. And so last week we saw he gives them a call to remember uh, in verses 17 through 19. He says, But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken. That is a reminder to them to remember the words of Scripture. He had told them back earlier in the chapter. Uh, he, had, he had quoted from the Old Testament when he referenced Sodom and Gomorrah. He had quoted from the Old Testament when he referenced Korah and Dathan, uh, Korah and Balaam and, and uh, Cain. We said last week Jude expected his hearers to be familiar with the written word of God. Both the Old Testament and even the, the written word of God that was being written in their time. He said, remember ye the words of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So number one thing you and I can do to combat or to contend for the faith is know your Bible. Not only know it, not only put the knowledge of it in your head, but remember it in the sense of remember what was said and remember what it means. There is instruction from the Scripture that gives us ability to look at our surroundings and process it in the right light. And so the first thing, I believe this, we'll not be able to to combat the apostasy of our age if we don't remember the words of the Word of God. And that's the first thing he said, a call to remember the words of Scripture and the wisdom of Scripture what the Bible says and what the Bible means. You have to have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God to be able to do that. You, anybody can read the Bible and know what words say. You have to be born again and dwelt by the Spirit of God and willing to listen to what he has to say to understand and have the wisdom of Scripture. But nonetheless, Jude is calling upon them, remember, if you'll remember that this is prophesied, this won't take you off guard and you'll be able to respond correctly. So the last week was a call to remember. The words of Scripture, the wisdom of Scripture. In the wisdom of Scripture, there's a caution, there's clarity, and there's also comfort. Romans 15, 4 talks about the comfort of the Scriptures in the life of the child of God. We were reminded last week, he describes the men one more time uh, here in Jude, and when he says in verses um, uh, 18 and 19 that these are mockers, uh, Peter calls them scoffers. It's the same, same underlying Greek word, scoffer, mocker. That tells you what a scoffer does. They mock the things of God. And so then they're, they're, they're mockers. Uh, in verse 18, they walk after their own ungodly lusts. They don't walk according to the word of God. They follow their passions. And then verse 19, these be they who separate themselves. We dealt with last week, watch out for someone who is constantly giving you a unique spin on the Bible and saying, I have discovered something no one else has ever seen. I have found the secret to Christianity. It's not a secret anymore. God made it known. He revealed it in the Bible. This is what's going on in 1 John. There were those coming in and saying, we have the secret. We have the secret. It's what Gnosticism was. We have a secret knowledge. There is nothing new under the sun. There are people today that claim to have the secret finally to salvation. It's what Joseph Smith claimed. We dealt with that last week. That I searched all the denominations and I couldn't find the truth. But then God gave me light, when in fact it was an angel of light who led him into darkness. And so we must beware of those that meet this criteria. But then he goes on to say there's not only a call to remember. We pick up here tonight in verse 20. He says there is a call to reinforce. So remember, meaning no, we dealt with. last thing we dealt with last week is you can't remember something you never learned. So he's expecting them to know the word of God, know the wisdom of God, but also to keep it fresh in their minds. To remember means to call to mind, amen? To intentionally call something that's in your mind to your mind. Very important that we bring Scripture to our mind daily. But verse 20, he moves on from the call to remember. 
then he calls them to reinforce when he says this, but ye beloved, he uses that term again, but ye beloved, in spite of them, here's what you're supposed to do, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, he'll deal with who keeps us saved in verses 24 and 25. Now, the Bible says, Now in him that is able to keep you from falling. The Holy Spirit of God keeps us from falling and falling uh, from our salvation, as some would term it. But here, he's dealing with our responsibility. Verses 20 and 21 is dealing with Christian responsibility. Notice how he, said, how he words this, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Whose responsibility is your spiritual growth? It is your personal responsibility. We are, in, we are commanded to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. Our most holy faith, we've been looking at this in Sunday school, it is most holy because of who it is placed in. Our faith is in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what makes our faith it is the faith anchored in God's word. That is what makes our faith holy. But having that faith, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1, we have been given unto us, we've had given unto us, how many things that pertain to life and godliness are ours? All things. Therefore, when God says building yourselves up on your most holy faith, he's giving us and has already given us everything we need to do that. Someone say, well, how do I grow spiritually? If you're saved tonight... You've already been given what you need to grow spiritually. God is, I mean, we're so blessed. We have a Bible. We have a whole Bible. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have a church of like-minded believers to help us in this project of building. But what we're looking at in Sunday school right now on the matter of adding to your faith is what he's talking about when he says building up yourselves on your most holy faith. I, I love the Bible. I love the clarity of the Bible. If I read that and I think, okay, we're using an analogy, Right? So we're using the analogy of building. God's using a metaphor. You're supposed to build up yourself. So you're supposed to strengthen your spiritual life on your most holy faith. I want the recipe. If it's, if it's, we're baking something, I want the recipe. If we're building something, I want to know what are the materials I'm building with. Well, the Spirit of God's been so gracious to give us seven specific materials to add to our faith that will build us up. We're to add to our faith virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. And he said, if those things are in you and abound, you'll never fall. Meaning you'll be strong enough to withstand the winds of apostasy if you build up yourself in the sense of not being defeated. We know the apostate can't steal your salvation, but he can surely steal your joy. And he can surely steal your victory over temptation through his false doctrine. We know they can trip us up in our walk. They can't keep us from heaven, but they can sure trip you up in your walk. And what God says is if you want to combat apostasy, remember the words of God and use those words to build yourself up on your most holy faith. Spiritual growth, may I say this? I don't think there's a person in this room tonight if I said, those of you who know you're saved, I said, would you like in 2022 to personally lead another person to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I think everybody here would say, yes, I would love to do that. How many of you know that doing spiritual work requires spiritual preparation? I don't think there's a person in this room tonight that knows you're saved, that if I said, how would you like to have personal spiritual victory moving forward in 2022? Meaning, when you're tempted to yield to your flesh, you actually overcome and live victoriously. I think we want that. If you're saved, that's what you want. 
But you realize warfare requires preparation. And God says you're living in a hostile spiritual environment and what you're going to have to do is get stronger spiritually. It's the exact same thing Peter says in 2 Peter 3, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Bible says he warns us that we not fall from our own steadfastness. He didn't say fall from salvation. Peter warns us of that in 2 Peter 3. So it's necessary that we... Uh, that we build up ourselves on our most holy faith. Turn over, if you would, Second Peter 1, just by way of a reminder. Verses 5 through 11. This is a, an expanded version, if you would, of what Jude says when he says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. This is in detail what, what he's talking about. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence. How many of us know building takes work? Getting saved took no work on your part. It took faith. We all agree? Growing takes work. That's a difference. Getting saved, he did the work. Growing, there's a work for you and I to do. And so he says, and uh, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly, not just an entrance, but an entrance abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter saying, if you want a fruitful entrance in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to do what I just said. And you have to make yourself diligent. You have to be diligent about your spiritual growth. And so I want you to ask yourself tonight in a very practical way, how diligent am I about my spiritual development? And a good way to answer that is what steps are you practically taking to add to your faith? What steps am I practically taking tonight? So if it's directly related to the words of God, he says, remember the words of the apostles of our Lord and Savior and build yourself up on your most holy faith. And so there ought to be some things in my life I can look at and say, I am reading this much, this place of Scripture. I am memorizing these verses that have to do with what I'm tempted with so that I can be temperate in this portion of my life. And uh, this is where I know that my flesh is weak. And so I'm looking at some Scripture and studying that aspect, that, that aspect of spiritual life in my Bible. You and I will not grow on accident. You've got to be diligent. There are people we know that are learning new languages. You do not learn a new language on accident. Okay, so do you learn a new language on accident? It doesn't happen on accident. It has to be on purpose. You have to apply yourself. You have to open the book, read the words, rehearse the words, write them down, read them again, rehearse them again. Many times I think what we feel like is this. If God is involved, things will just be magical. It would just be magical. I'll sit through a few minutes of service and I'll just, I'll just grow spiritually. I wish it worked like that, but it doesn't. It, it takes diligence to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. Amen? Uh, any athlete understands this. From the physical world, you do not start out bench pressing 300 pounds. It doesn't work that way. I remember the first time I tried to bench press 85 pounds. I thought, man, I had no idea, right? 
And I knew a guy in my work, he was bench pressing something like 360 pounds. He'd been working at that all his life. He was 56 years old. He bench pressed over 300 pounds. And he had arms as big as my leg, you know. He's a big old guy. But he didn't just wake up one morning and say, you know what, I think I want to bench press. He built himself up. Building up means by little, and by little I add, and I add, and I add, and I add. I continue to add virtue, and then I add knowledge, and then I add temperance, and I continue to add some more virtue, and I add all this on our faith in Jesus Christ. Because he is who he says he is, I can add these things to my life, and I must. I'll just say this, the greatest antidote to apostasy is strong Christians. People who know what the Bible says and are living by it. That's the greatest antidote to apostates. Now, Jude is going to get into calling us to rescue in point number three. But there is, a, there is an order to what he's saying. First, he says, remember what the Word of God says. Reinforce your faith by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Adding the Word of God, adding virtue, which we looked at on Sunday, is moral excellence. It's, it's, it's applying God's Word in our life, right? Uh, and so, so on and so forth. We add these things and and apply ourselves diligently to, first of all, a call to reinforce is a call to spiritual construction, if you would, if you're taking notes. Number two, there's a call in the call to reinforcement, not only to building ourselves up, adding to our faith, but also there's a call to communication with the Lord. He says this, but ye beloved, building, there's an I-N-G on the end of that, so it's a process that's continually taking place, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. As I read this, you know what it sounds like to me? All this is taking place at the same time. As I'm building myself up, I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. Normally, I don't look up definitions of words like in. But I thought, that term is used. We're supposed to walk in the Spirit. What does that mean in a very practical way? Now, I understand our position is we are sealed by the Spirit in the day of redemption. But I thought it interesting what this word in means. It denotes, of course, our position But it denotes this, a relation of rest. That's what the word means. Our position as a relation of rest. Meaning, I pray resting on the Holy Spirit of God to aid me, to guide me, to empower me. The Lord Jesus said he gave me the Holy Spirit. Did he not when I became a believer? When I believed, he gave me his Holy Spirit. And this praying in the Holy Ghost means I pray in faith. That's what Jesus said. Well, sir, if you ask in faith, believing, you'll receive. I pray resting upon the work of the Holy Spirit. I rest on him that he has sealed me the day of redemption. So I approach the throne of grace boldly. Why? Because I'm resting in the Holy Spirit of God to have accomplished my salvation. I'm resting in the Holy Spirit of God. He intercedes for me, does he not? That's what Romans 8 says. He, uh, he, he makes requests for me when I don't know what to request for myself. And so what Jude is instructing is as you pray, you remember what the Holy Spirit of God has done for you and is doing for you, and you pray from a, from a standpoint of reliance. Remember, we're building ourselves on our most holy faith. When I rest on something, I, I quit going... I saw I saw a, a visual one time, or somebody spelled it out on paper, of, of somebody, and all you can see is their white knuckles on the edge of a windowsill, gripping, just gripping, trying to hang on for dear life. When you go out and look on the other side, their feet are three inches above the concrete. If you just let go and rest on the foundation, you'd be all right. See, many times we pray doubting, not resting. We, we, we pray wondering, yeah, are the, 
Are the promises of God true? Am I really saved? Am I really sealed? Is the Spirit of God actually helping me? Uh, no, the Bible says, but you know how you rest in the Holy Spirit? You rest in His words. You can't see Him with your eyes. You can't feel Him with your hands. Some like to say you know Him in your emotions. You may recognize some things emotionally, but you know how you and I recognize the Spirit of God? Through His word. It's by His Word that He communicates. When we rest in His Word, we say, you know what? The Bible says that if I trust Christ, He saved me. That's the Word of the Spirit of God, and we rest in that. So we pray from a position of confidence, not a position of doubt. If you ever read George Mueller, he makes much of this. He said, if God makes a promise, don't pray, praying like it might not be true. If God promised it, it's so. He would pray for those little orphans, saying, Something like this to the Lord. You promised, Lord, to, to care for the fatherless and the widows. So I know you're going to provide for these orphans because you said so. And then we wonder why Saul's many prayers answered. You know what that is? That's praying in the Holy Ghost. You're taking God literally at his word. And so we, we, we pray from a position, yes, praying, but praying in submission. You know, if you rest in the Holy Spirit, you don't have a problem with his will. So you pray from a position of, of submission to the Holy Spirit of God. You pray from a, a position of confidence in the Holy Spirit of God. And, uh, and by that I mean the very words of the Bible. So we are called in reinforcement to construction, building ourselves up, adding virtue and all those things listed in Second Peter to our faith, excuse me, growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. We are called to communication. We are to have a life of prayer. One of the things you can say, how am I doing at contending for the faith? Well, how's your prayer life? If my prayer life is once a week, twice a week, a minute here, a minute there, and I don't believe a good prayer life can be measured in minutes per se, but I do believe this, we are to be praying always. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And once again, what we're being told is, this is ironic, isn't it? You know what Jude, by the Holy Spirit of God, is telling us? If you're going to be a strong Christian, you've got to stay in your Bible, believe it, retain it. If you're going to be a strong Christian, you've got to obey it. That's what it means to add to your faith. If you're going to be a strong Christian, you have to pray. The components of strong Christianity are not complicated. They are opposed by our flesh, and they're opposed by the world we live in, but it's not complicated. Give ourselves to obedience to the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, complying with the Word of God, and then praying according to the Word of God. So, he says, uh, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, meaning get strong in the faith you have. Don't be looking for a new faith. How many, of us, how many of us need something outside of the Bible? How many of you know everything the Bible says it relates to you? How many of us tonight, any of us, I'll not say you, how many of us could quote every promise in the Bible that relates to us? How many of us could quote every commandment that relates to us? Then why do we go out looking for something outside of the Bible to help us spiritually? When we've not exhausted the book we have, I believe this with all my heart, you could study your Bible, daily, for six hours a day, from now until the day you die, even if that's 50 years from now, and never exhaust everything God has for us in this book. I am convinced of that, and yet we go look for some cheap paperback to replace what the Bible says to help us be better Christians. I'm not against reading things alongside the Bible that people will help you to read and believe your Bible, but if it's a replacement for what the Bible says... We're going to weaken ourselves. Jude says, know the Word of God. Add it to your life. Comply with it. Build yourself up. Pray. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Then he says, it's as though all of these things are how we accomplish what we find in verse 21. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, 
Keep yourselves in the love of God. Once again, whose responsibility is it tonight to keep me in the love of God? Well, it's my parents' job, right? Your parents' job. Your pastor's job. No. Every Christian is responsible to keep himself in the love of God. How do you keep yourself in love of God? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Let's go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 gives a very clear-cut answer as to how, what this verse means. The Bible interprets itself. Amen? The Bible interprets itself. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And then John chapter 15 is that great chapter on abiding. May I be very clear. John 15 is not a chapter on how to get saved. How many of us understand John 15 was spoken to the disciples between the Lord's Supper and crucifixion? This was not just spoken to the masses. This was not spoken to the large groups of people who came to hear Jesus. It was spoken to the 12, meaning it was spoken to the 11 who clearly had faith and one who claimed that he did. John 15 is not about salvation. It's about communion and fellowship with God and about fruit bearing, right? So John chapter 15, in that context, John 15, uh, in verse 10, the Bible says, uh, verse 9 rather, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Okay, does he going to tell us how to do that? Yes, he is. Verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know, he says you, you keep yourself in the love of God by obeying. Now, does that mean if I stop obeying, God quits loving me? Is that what he's saying? It does not at all. Do you know how my children, and I'm an earthly father with many flaws, but do you know how my earthly children will experience my care for them? They have to do it. I tell them. My commandments are instructed to are, are designed to protect them. My instructions are designed to keep their conscience clean. My instructions are designed to enable them to do what's right. And I'm an I'm a human, a sinner saved by grace. But that my instructions are intended. You know what? If they want to experience my love and stay inside and know my love for them, you know how they're going to have to do it? They're going to have to obey. If they don't obey, they're going to know a different kind of love. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, you and I, you know how we experience God's care for us? You know why some people think God doesn't care about them? Because they're not obeying Him. If we obey Him, we get a hold of how good He is, but not until then. When you obey, you go, look what God had for me. Look what he, he knew best. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. You can just say right there, them that, that obey him. Because love of God is equivalent to obeying God. That's how we communicate love to him. You're all about these love languages. God has one. Obey me and you all know you love me. Is it not true? And so then Jude says... Be ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, do what? Keep yourselves in the love of God. You're going to have to be growing spiritually, communicating with God in prayer in order to keep yourself in the love of God. If you're going to stay in God's will and obedience to God, you're going to have to couple that with knowledge of the Word of God and adding that, uh, growing spiritually, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourself in the love of God, what? Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. It says you're going to have to get, keep your attention on the eternal, not on the, not on the temporal, not on the present. So he says the call to reinforce is construction program, building yourselves up, communication, praying, consecration, keep yourselves in the love of God, and then contemplation, meaning get your attention on the coming of Christ. 
You know what? Every time God deals with us staying right with Him in this world, He brings us back to our focus on the return of Christ. When we get our focus on the temporal, so when we get focused on politics, I'm convinced as Christians get focused on politics, I'm not saying we're not to be aware of these things, but as we get focused on politics and world events, we get out of God's will. Because we're focused on our surroundings rather than on the temporal and what's life going to be like in five years rather than when is Christ coming? Uh, we are What we're looking for next, what's the big event on our calendar is the return of Jesus Christ. Titus 2, we go here often, but let's go here again. Titus chapter 2, where we are called and told how to live until Christ returns, we are told yet again how important it is that what we're looking for is the return of Christ. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Now, all of this is said in preparation for he's going to tell us we've got to make a difference. We have to have compassion and some fear uh, to save some and pull them out of the fire and so forth. But I believe this, we're not going to be spiritually fit to do the work of rescue if we're not first reinforcing. I believe spiritual rescue work takes spiritual preparation. I read today in our local paper that one of our detention officers finished his post-training for, for uh, being, a, being an officer. So that's police officer safety training, so on and so forth. He finished that. Why, why do you have to go to post-training? Six weeks of intensive training because you're having to deal with problems. I mean, they teach them everything from shooting to driving a car to having to have personal interaction with somebody that's trying to overtake you physically. I mean, they they really go through a lot of training for that. Why? Because they know that's what they're getting into. When you and I go out to interact with people, especially in an age of apostasy, there's some spiritual preparation necessary. Amen? And that's what Jude is dealing with. If you're going to make a difference, you're going to contend for the faith in an apostate world, you're going to have to build yourself up on your most holy faith while you're praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for, keeping your focus on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Here it is, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purifying himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. It's interesting to me. We were out knocking doors a couple Sundays ago, and a guy comes to the door, and he and his wife, he's real gruff at first, and his wife greet me there, and uh, they, they meet me at the porch. And one of the questions he asked me, he said, well, now, do you believe the Bible? I said, I do. So you believe it all? I said, I do. And he began to challenge and question me about the rapture. You believe in the rapture? I said, I do. Oh, and he didn't believe in himself. And I said, do you believe in that catching up in the clouds? It's talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4. Because that's why we believe in the rapture. Amen. And what he began to say was, I said, and I didn't want to know. He claimed to be a believer in Christ. I said, so do you believe that the Lord Jesus is ever coming back? Oh, yeah, I believe that. I'm glad to know that because if you don't, that's a problem because the Bible's pretty clear. But my my question is this. If you don't believe that there's a catching away of the saints to meet the Lord in the air, what in the world is there to look forward to? I don't think the tribulation is a blessed hope. Amen? Even if those guys who claim that we're taken out in the middle of the tribulation, it's not the tribulation we're looking for, it's the coming of Christ we're looking for. You know what? So many today who are preppers, they're not looking for the coming of Christ. I'm talking about saved people that have got caught up in this stuff. They're not looking for the coming of Christ. They're looking for the coming of the Antichrist. 
We're not looking for that blessed misery. We're looking for the blessed hope. The catching away, a new... I don't know about you. I am actually excited that I'm going to get a new body. That it's not theory. It's not hypothesis. It's an actual fact that when Christ comes, we're done with this mess. That is a blessed hope. And that's the only thing I believe that will keep us laboring as we should, building ourselves up, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping ourselves in the love of God, because... If, if our hope is in this life, we're of all, only, we're of all men most miserable, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. And so then, the call to reinforce, he says, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping your, keeping yourselves, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Many a Christian, or those who claim to be a Christian today, aren't even focused on eternal life. They just want a good life here. I just want a better life, not eternal life. I just want an easy life, not eternal life. But for you and I, what's going to help us to stand in an age of apostasy is keeping our focus on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, we know with that comes the judgment seat of Christ. And so I'll say it again. The best defense against apostasy is a healthy Christian. He says there's a call to remember. Remember the words of the, of the Lord. Remember Scripture. And out of that, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We'll end there tonight. Next week, we'll begin to look at the call to rescue. Verse 22, he says, And if some have compassion, making a difference. Meaning in this age of apostasy, there are people who can be rescued through compassion and others with fear, pulling them out of the fire, having even the garment spotted by the flesh. We'll, we'll speak of that and deal with that next week about how we need, as reinforced Christians, to go into this world, and if some have compassion and others with fear, pull folks out of the fire. And I believe there's some wisdom for us in that. And then finally, in verses 24 and 25, he, he calls them to reverence. He ends the chapter on reminding them who the Lord is and the reverence and the fear that he's worthy to have from us. Mm-hmm.